Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I believe it. Yeah, I see a waveform. from three uh today it is a special episode as we're actually at the end of the season i know liverpool fans it felt like a while ago that the season ended uh but it turns out that football went on for other people uh sweet i know uh and we're joined by a real life leeds fan today uh john mckenzie it's good to have you on the podcast for the first time yeah it's great it's uh, exciting to, to debut i did worry that maybe i was just pulled in because there was only two of you and you needed to you know <laughs> fulfill the name yeah. of your podcast yeah, I mean, uh, we we were, we've done a top two before, um, and at the same time, Chris dropped out because he said there's only room for one smart guy on this podcast at, at a time. <laughs> we've uh, also just had Adam drunkly, drunkenly, sort of monologuing, and that was a, that was a good front one. So, <laughs> yeah, Adam really is a, a special breed of podcast. Um, he's the Bill Simmons of the UK. Uh, and, he's not uh, racist. Morales, it's good to have you. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's great to be here. It's good to be here with two of my two of my most, I would say, most influential, two of the most influential people in my life at different stages. At this point, right? Yeah, so of course, he's over my influence. <laughs> he's now very much under Jong's wing. Um, this is why he knows so much about Bielsa and why we'll be able to discuss in such depth uh, the fact that Bielsa can watch two TV screens at once, etc., etc. Um, there are there are there's a lot of jubilation around England right now for different reasons. Uh, first of all, COVID, it's just over. But secondly, uh, uh, and in many ways, the return of another virus to the Premier League, Leeds United are, um, are back up. And um, I, as a Liverpool fan, incredibly excited about that. Uh, I think a lot of Manchester United fans are happy to, uh, to have that. It sort of feels like an old foe is returning to the top league. Um, and obviously, you know, I think people out there have a bit of a, a feel for this. But there are going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast who barely remember john the last time that leeds were in the premier league and maybe not know why it is so important to this club to be there um so you guys have been promoted first of all congratulations but what are your overriding thoughts at this point yeah it's 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 an interesting one i mean on the one hand i'm i'm a an inveterate Bielsa stand so I I I love everything that he does I I he's made me excited about watching my team again and so that's a sort of background context and with that in the background the the the, you want your club to win the league because you feel as though you're playing football that deserves that and you 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 want the excellence to to be rewarded now as by as a byproduct of that excellence you then are promoted into the Premier League and that raises some maybe uh, more 
confusing emotions in in right. in my uh, in my uh, fandom. I think on the one hand, like obviously, I I can't wait for us to be in the top league in the sense that you know it's it's much easier to be a fan of a club in the top division because everything is curated for fans of clubs in the top division. And there's I was saying before we've just recorded a our Leeds podcast and I was saying it's just the little things you know it's like being able to watch match of the day and know that Leeds are going to be on it um yeah fans outside of the Premier League don't realize quite how hard it is to actually watch like a highlights package of your club when they're not in the top division um you have to end up uh, how how crazy that is just sorry just to to Mm. side on to that how crazy it is because the championship is also such a great league and Leeds are such a compelling team to watch you'd think that there would be a very marketable asset there Mm. But the Premier League is sort of shat all over that. Yeah. So if I wanted to watch Leeds highlight package, I would have to watch it on Quest, which I'm not entirely sure how I do that. Um, it's a TV channel for anyone who's... Um, well, actually, it's a TV channel for, any, for anyone. No one really knows what Quest is. Um, but it is a TV channel. Yeah, and it's also on sort of like nine o'clock. So I always forget to do it because I will see Match of the Days on and be like, oh, I could watch Leeds. And I'll be like, no, I've, I've missed it. Um, sure. Is that Colin Murray who presents? Yeah, it is. It right, is, okay. yeah. yeah. The, uh, and yeah. It, a good job he does too, I must say. And um, Ali Maxwell as well, as well of uh, the Not the Top 20 podcast. Well, fuck him. You don't well. need him anymore though, John. Yeah, That's exactly. The, yeah. Goodbye to all that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then even little things like people will be now able to select their fantasy football team and Leeds fans will be able to put Leeds players in their teams. Little things right. like that which is and, and that's exciting and also i want to see my club playing the best teams in the in in the uk yeah and also some and, and to some extent and some and yeah and and yeah some of the most sort of disparate weird teams in the premier league and also the fact that that, that uh, classic white kick is back in the premier league um for people out there people uh who don't listen to john's podcast it's called if it ain't white it ain't right it, it's not it's off kilter <laughs> to be fair at the moment john but that's that's okay um it, no, what's the what's the podcast? And where can people find it if they do want to become lead stands? Mm, so we we have a media channel called All Stats, aren't we? We look at the stats and tactics side of things in particular. So yeah, if you find us on Twitter, or um, we have a podcast on Acast as well, which is easy enough to find. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's that one side, that one context, then the positive side of things, which I am looking forward to. And I think as it, a lot of people have been saying to me, and, and I echo the sentiment, you know, it hasn't sunk in yet. It will be in the next months as we know transfer rumours are happening and we're being linked to players that we might not normally get linked to. And um, we, we start getting the fixture list out, et cetera. That's all going to be exciting. But at the same time, you know, when your club is in a higher division, it becomes as a product more uh, a, a more interesting um, prospect for for of course. I guess owners who I might not want to have at the club, and I guess that's where the the sort of shadow side comes in a little bit. Um, and I I mean it's not just simply that that sort of the, the fact that when your club is is a, a is a more attractive proposition that you you are at risk of losing something about your club. But like as you said, the championship is a great league, and you know the, yeah, it, it's enjoyable to watch your club play in that in that sort of uh, that sort of level because it's safe. You know that you're not going to suddenly have someone dropping in and, and and raising all these sorts of moral questions and 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 everyone having to go along with it because we're like, well, you know, it's been 16 years since we're in the Premier League. At this point, we'll do anything. Um, so yeah, conflicting um, emotions. I think for me, really, it's, I guess it's also what success means as well because for some weird reason, we always go along with this idea that winning the Premier League is the only success and the only way to measure whether your team is. Mm indeed good or bad and at the same time there is something very exciting about thinking about you know your club being the club that's remembered for bringing Bielsa into the Premier League your club being 
it's true. I mean, you know, we, we laugh about it, but it, there is something quite exciting about the fact that you guys have got this um, this historic manager in a sense, like someone who's going to actually be remembered. Um, mm. There's something quite exciting about that, um, and the fact that you know he will really, he's really, in many ways, it feels a bit like a Jose Mourinho esque addition to the Premier League because he is going to piss other people off. People off, you know, there are going to be drones over um, wherever teams <laughs> train. Uh, there, there are, there are going to be moments and uh, the strange thing is as well if uh i always find it a little bit interesting I, you know i've read a little bit about bielsa down the years when we've wanted to do documentaries on him things like that uh i always thought if bielsa was english he would be, be so beloved and people would be like what a genius he'd be treated as almost like this churchillian type uh not in that way but you know like the you know he would he could do no wrong in many senses i think if he was english hmm. but it's the fact that he's this foreign um well i think that's how he's mystery. treated now no in, in some ways, but I feel like he'd be, you know, English managers are treated like, you know, if Mark Hughes is a Welshman can get a job. And then, you know, for some weird reason, um, I'm trying to think of it. I mean, there's, you know, Sam Allardyce is uh, this incredible well, guy. We, we need <laughs> we need look no further than, for example, you know, there's a lot of talk around the manager of the year award and uh frank lampard is chris, being sure. heavily mentioned in sort of that not conversation chris so. are, you, are you saying enough, not chris are you saying that that sam Al- what, marcelo bielsa is the argentinian sam allardyce this is what i've got so far from the conversation in many ways there's only one that's only one way to read that <laughs> comment isn't there um the bit, it, uh, there are also a lot of people out there who i think have probably only seen the top line on bielsa so what what is uh, what what goes a little deeper than that? Because I think we've all seen the a story in the Independent or a story in the Guardian where he's done something, you know, particularly charismatic, like holding a grenade in front of a, gr- a group of people, or all these kind of things. But uh, there is also, you know, the players don't just go along with him because he held a grenade. Yeah, no, the, and again, you know, there's. The, I think it's important to embrace the tension when it comes to to Marcelo Bielsa because. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, like, but Marcelo Bielsa can do no wrong in in Leeds, and uh, rightly so. And um, there is uh, overwhelmingly good things about him, but there is an interesting shadow side there as well that we could maybe talk about uh, a little bit later. But in terms of you, you mentioned like, having another Mourinho figure in in the Premier League, I think it's going to be great having Bielsa in the Premier League because I feel as though all the managers there at the moment are sort of a bit stayed, especially the sort of superstar managers, right? We we had Mourinho and he did his shtick and everyone was like, oh, yeah, no, this is, guy's great. And 10 years later now, we're just bored of it. Um, well, we've, we've had Klopp, we've had Guardiola, and I think, both, again, those are two great managers, but we're a little bit bored of them. So I think having Bielsa in, in, in the, the league will be really exciting just from a, this is guy, a guy who's going to do it entirely differently to anyone else. As a protagonist as well, yeah, someone yeah. who is able to, yeah, to, to, I think he will become the hero of the league. He, yeah, because Chris Wilder, well, depending think, on the you know, success, I guess. But I think you know that the Jose Mourinho comparison know. or Jose Mourinho illusion with regards to the press conference, I think, is an interesting one because you know it does feel, and it always has felt, even when it was coming off and maybe the way that he wanted it to, that the stick in the press conferences was calculated and it was. Uh, reactive to how the English press operates, right? And I think with people like, I would even venture as far to say Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, but especially Bielsa, like I look at the incident and I think this is something that I'd be happy to hear John talk about is, you know, you look at the incident last year with uh, Derby 
and the cheating scandal. And I think mm -hmm. the message, yeah, everybody's it's just called a scandal. I'm not sure it's actual cheating, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the, the the message sort of taken away from that, I think everybody is, or a lot of people have interpreted it differently, and maybe said like, "Oh, look at him. He's like maybe wagging his finger at, at these other people and saying like, yes, I am cheating.'" But I think it it does embody Bielsa in such a specific way to who he is as a human being, because I think what he's actually said there is, listen, you've, you have these rules and they may dictate in this specific scenario that I am cheating by the legal letter of the law, but this is, this is not how I look at cheating. I'm, I'm so meticulous and my team is so meticulous about the way that we prepare for each and every game that we're just looking we're just following the natural conclusion of our passion and our sort of theory about the game and it's this is how much work we put into every single preparation so if you want to call it cheating that's fine but we're just accumulating information and that isn't to deny that what he did was right or wrong or or make a a decision on that sure. but i think it does i think that is part of why bielsa wherever he is and i think he's accumulated and 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 accrued something special at leeds because of the success that they've had now but that does that is part of what has made him such a special manager and endeared him in such a specific way to fans is that i think in modern football in football in general we can often feel you know a common line that you hear with regards to players and managers is that players aren't trying hard enough they're not doing it for me you know they're not representing right. me whereas like i think again the the reason people love bielsa so much is because he he is very much in tune with that sense of responsibility and john and i have talked about this um, with bielsa and i think he's written as much is that like he really does care about the the way that the players and the manager and the staff relate to not just the club but the area that the club represents and they feel a sense of responsibility both tactically and and as a club to represent those people and so that's that's what makes it so interesting. And again, maybe what John says, interesting point, like, does that go away when you become part of this machine that is a global, uh, you know, a global marketing institution, essentially? Yeah, I, I guess that uh, that's why I was finding interesting about Bielsa is he does seem to understand what's going to make it a, a meaningful or a worthwhile, I guess, experience rather than just sort of a participation and there is a bit of an element in the premier league especially now with covid of well you know let's just get this done let's let's play the games let's participate and you know do our bit in a in quite a confusing almost blind society where people seem to do things just because it feels you know it was the right thing to do he seems to have gone a little bit deeper than that and i think that there's an element where the club and the team seem to respect that what's the What's the feeling as Leeds fans, having maybe gotten to know him a little better, gotten to know his teams a little better, and also seeing the failings of that, where he has exhausted people just through the sheer amount that you've ended up, mm. um, you know, preparing, being meticulous, playing until you wanted to die or whatever. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to dig dig up there. Phil Hay, the um, athletic journalist for Leeds United, um, wrote a piece this week where um, the, he just made an offhand remark that um, during lockdown, I think, that Leeds United had produced a, um, sort of something like eight pages of, of scouting notes on a third choice keeper for a club at the bottom of the league. Um, <laughs> and look, I th again, this is what I find so interesting about Bielsa is so much of this is like exoticizing something which right 
and and the problem is right is that is that what you do is when you have someone who is uh, outlandish who does things that aren't normal and uh, they they have that sort of obsession that he has people want to make the correlation between that and success and I, I think part of the problem and, and part of the part of the issue with Bielsa is that, you know, the reason that he is successful is partially because he's like this, but also the reason why he's not successful is partially because of this. And for me, that's what's so fascinating about him is that um is that people recency bias everything and they say, well, when he's good, it's because he's the way that he is, and when he's bad, it's because he's the way that he is. And I think it's maybe a little bit more complicated than that. And so, right. so some something like where we talk about like Nick Nick mentioned the um the fact that the Bielsa came out, out after the the um, Spygate incident and said, "Oh, this this isn't really cheating because we we don't learn anything from this. We've already decided everything. We we already know everything about what Derby County do before we then show up at their training facilities to to spy on them." And he said, "The only reason <laughs> I do that is because I'm so I'm so obsessive about making sure I haven't overlooked something." that I make sure that one of our interns goes down and, and checks out to almost did, to confirm did, what you've, what they already know, as it were. Did that check out then in that sense? Because, because obviously at that point, again, that is cheating. Um, in, in a very <laughs> literal sense of the word, in a very, in the very, in, strangely in the very English sense of the word, um, where I, I think there's also that almost a South American understanding, not to other him too much, but there is a bit of a South American understanding of the rules of like, well, the rules exist. I know that if I break them and I, then I get punished, but, that's why the rules exist. I get punished, and you know, if you do it within the letter of the, the law, the limits are the limits are meant to be uh, experienced on both sides, as opposed to the limits are never supposed to be transgressed. And, and there's a bit more of kind of a bootlicker attitude in England, where it's like, well, hold on a second, why would you break the rules? You don't. You know, the rules are there for. All why would you violate the sanctity of dear Dank Frank Lampard's Derby County? Why would you <laughs> and, do and, such and, a thing? And, not, and, and uh, yeah, in many ways, you know, I, it was a little. It wasn't condescending, but it was definitely. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed the tone that he took because I think it was also very confusing to English people and it, and therefore it also in a, in a way it became almost confusing to an English investigation that kind of thought it was wading in and going now now come on this is how we do things around here and he was going no it isn't like this is how I do things around here and there was something quite it felt you know it felt a little bit like a movie in that sense you know the the, the little guy who could or whatever and at the same time. It sort of leads on to the idea, in a sense, of the performativity of being a football manager. And so, uh, and also, uh, you know, not only that, but while he's busy instilling this idea that we are prepared and we are, um, you know, getting ready for the game, how much of that is actual preparation and, you know, getting ready? And how much that is like um, a psychological placebo um, effect on the players where it's like, he almost wants to get caught to show how much he's preparing. He almost wants to, you know, psych out the other managers. He wants other people to know and try and call him out on things because some people understand that that dark, the dark arts, the dark side, if that's what mm. you want to call it. Yeah, a couple of things I want to say here. Firstly, firstly, is it was really interesting the the press response to Spygate because you know mm. the I think the impression people got was well, obviously this is cheating, but actually the fine came because they they had to basically invent some rule he'd broken. So they they basically went into the AFL's rule book and they were like, well, we've got this good faith clause in our contract, which is right. which which exists basically so that someone doesn't throw the league or whatever. You know, it's, it's so that mm-hmm. at the end of the season you don't you don't just throw games and be like, well, we've won, so who cares? It's that it's <laughs> treating other teams with respect in terms of the Again. competition. 
extremely English. And like <laughs> this guy is extremely English. It's, he, this, he's breaking all the English rules. Yeah, and the exactly. same as we were outraged about Luis Suarez's mm. handball, it's like he got the red card. Mm. Like. Take so so much of this was then unwritten rules. It was just sort of like, well, you can't do that because we know you can't do that, which is like, it's all well and good. Like that's, I guess that's how human society operates. But when, you, <laughs> when it comes to like legalizing against someone, you can't just be like, well, we all know that that's the rule. So we can't yeah, exactly, point you yeah. to the exact rule. Um, so that was, I mean, that it's was interesting good. as well. Was it a little bit about it also being Frank Lampard and people were, they saw a little, like there was an element of it being like, hey, this foreigner is here and mm. he's he's uh, violating this English rose. And, uh, you know, this this guy is trying to work his way back up to the Premier League with, you know, Gutsy Derby, another team that was sort of, you know, very valued in England in English history. Um, I, I, that, that's the way it felt to me. And I, I, I guess I enjoyed... I guess I enjoyed what came out of it as an outsider. There's something quite ple- there's something quite nice about the result of it, quite pleasurable. It was a little bit of a fuck you to the system. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And I you know, I think the it's people like Martin Keown coming out talking about the Corinthian ideal. And I think what frustrates me about that sort of approach is that you know that, that, that <laughs> I want that sorry, sentence on that, loop for the rest <laughs> of time. People like Martin sorry, Keown coming out talking about the Corinthian ideal. <laughs> to be fair, Martin Keown's one of the few footballers who could probably understand it. It's just one of those things where I'm not sure that whilst he can understand it, I'm not sure Martin Keown can actually explain concepts. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there was a lot, of, and I think a lot of my issue is is that a lot of this this sort of posturing as well is 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 as you've said othering, right? So you you get frustrated about someone, and it's their difference that that you then latch upon for the reason for why they've done certain things, and it's a very easy way of 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 pushing back against um, these sorts of ideals. So there was there was really interesting sort of like xenophobic ideas sort of percolating behind the surface as well. The other thing I wanted to talk about was how much, Mm. and this never gets talked about in football, but how few um, neuroatypical people there are in football. And this is something that, that I tried to write about a little bit with Bielsa because we, football, for some reason has engendered a group of people who generally are neurotypical. They tend to experience the world in, in the sort of standard ways that a lot of us do. And I think as a result of that, when it comes to trying to understand who Marcelo Bielsa is and what he does there, then you just sort of fall into this trap of being like, I can't conceive of, of, of behaving the way that he does because I, I couldn't put myself in that same situation and act in that way. And I think right. as a result of that, we then just talk about, him as being mad so we call him el loco the madman um we talk about like every literally every headline ever has to mention like the madness of, of bielsa and stuff like that and like whatever that's fine that's a similar thing to what was happening i think with this sort of like um um national othering that's going on um and and i find it so fascinating because football obviously like there's a bravado and a and a sort of like ladsy element to to football because I guess that's just kind of what sport is. And Bielsa kind of cuts through all that because he's just completely unlike that in, in many respects. And that, again, I find that really yeah. fascinating about him. Yeah. And because, it, yeah, you, in many ways, you need someone to be able to change that. It's also, there is a herdish kind of mentality. There is also a bit of a trend element in football where it's like, well, you know, but in, in many ways, Bielsa's football does go with the trend right now. So, you know, it's not like he's going completely against it. But then the strange thing is, it's not as if he's actually going with the trend. In many ways, I think he was the guy who influenced a yeah. lot of the trend. The trend you is know, catching you know. up with him, if anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, but and- that's a, that's an interesting kind of 
kind of uh, sentiment though to, to, to discuss because I think it is important in the sense that like Leeds have had this success playing a certain way. Obviously, Bielsa has played that way and chosen to play that way across his t- entire career because I think like Pep, like other managers that, that like to use the ball in a certain way, it's like it's a totalizing system. It has like, we can say physics to it. Um, but John, as someone, again, I think this is maybe where you falter or not falter but sort of shy away from the ideas of getting into the Premier League and the excitement is maybe cut down a bit like if you have to either a change that style of play significantly to account for the fact that you won't be able to play in the same way or b have to take on dubious ownership um, to try and bridge the talent gap like it seems like a catch-22. You're kind of screwed either way because you're, A, either no longer playing how you want to and how you've, like you said, Bielsa made you want to watch Leeds again. Bielsa like, allowed that to be a, a pleasurable thing for people, uh, supporters of Leeds United. And at the same time, like it seems like almost a, an impossibility to continue to do that when the talent gap is so significant and it can't be bridged unless you sort of get in you know get in get in the pool with the devil as it were Mm. yeah there's a few things here i mean firstly no one quite knows like how well Leeds united are going to translate into the premier league um we have do you have have any do you have a gut feeling do you have an eye test that goes to that so we played against arsenal in the fa cup um last season and we played in our first half the most some of the most scintillating football that we've seen but we i mean we ended ended up losing that game one nil um Mm. and it's one of those ones where you kind of think yeah and and there's this whole whole narrative about that so Leeds are relatively dominant in their division in the championship this season in such a way that clubs sit back against them teams sit back against them when they play so you sort of have a man city effect where Mm. it's almost as though we were too good for our division and so it meant that that teams sat back against us and actually that makes it much harder for us to actually um it's almost as though this is this maybe sounds a little bit too um the possession game becomes harder because the spaces yeah, yeah, sure. are smaller. But it's almost as though Leeds were too good at football. And it, it's almost like you need to... like what, A theory that I'm developing, which is probably a terrible theory, but is, is that the way that Liverpool play is is genius because they aren't playing football like Man Thank City, you. which is like, which is like um, it's all so good that teams have to sit back. Yeah. Um, and so with Liverpool, they play a different game, which means that teams can't, they can't do that against Liverpool. And so it's playing it, possum in a sense, I think you know, like, and, and, and what I do, so, sorry to cut you off. I think it's a great theory, but I, I do wonder if uh, in many ways you'll, you'll automatically be put into possum sometimes hmm. because people go, well, this is the promoted team boys, but at the same time, they'll be very careful. That's why I'm sort of, in, hmm. I'm good. I'm using the, the interesting uh, time is when he plays a Chelsea or a Liverpool or a Man City. Really, that's going to be fascinating. Yeah. So, so obviously, like Leeds play better when teams are aren't compressed against them. That's just like like Nick says. Like possession football is so much harder to do against compressed teams. Um, and I guess the question is, like, do we come out in the first half of the season and everyone's decompressed against us, and then we actually do okay? And then in the second you win half the of the league. season, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think I don't think we'd go quite that far, but. Um, you know the, the 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 general trajectory of of seasons in the Premier League always is that you you can have a good season in the first half and then clubs have played you once and and they they sort of mitigate the problems a little bit in the second half. Is that is, possible? Is that is that possible against Bielsa or is Bielsa going to be adaptable enough? And at the same time, is the team going to be fit enough? 
to be able to because it's you know it's all well and good playing that style of football in the championship where people are fit but there is there is another level of fitness in the Premier League. I think that's that's just. There's also just another, again, another level of talent, right? Like mm-hmm. you can play excellent possession football against the quality of football that is, on average, or better than average in the Championship. And there's plenty of quality in the Championship. No one's denying that. But you know, you look at a team like Southampton that has struggled. You look at a team like West Ham that has struggled. Like yes, the, in some cases you can make the the argument they're poorly managed, but there is like a ridiculous ridiculous amount of talent in the premier league both managerially and player wise so you know instilling that possession system with you know i guess the my question for john would be do you think the players that you have now are good enough to do the same thing that you've been doing at at, at a different level what i would say is the difference in the championship and the premier league is that you have you have individual talent and football is stochastic so the issue is going to be that I think an average Leeds are always going to, you know, going to be up there in the championship because they can play the way they play. And yeah, occasionally we have games where we lose, but um, for the majority of the time that there isn't that individual talent to, for us to dominate a game and then, and then someone to just sort of score three goals or, and then that's it, or even one goal, which happened a few times this season. But I think in the premier league, like I think there will be games where we do, dominate possession and we do dominate the ball and we do move move teams around in a way that they can't deal with but it will take one moment and they'll get a goal because they they do have a player they have an Aubameyang who can who is just an elite um an elite finisher and that and that makes the difference still salty about that (laughs) yeah so and so it's going to be it's going to be fascinating but look I don't think our squad is particularly great I think I don't even think we've got like a top five squad in the championship, particularly. Um, You've got Patrick this, Bamford, John, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you have Jack um, Harris. Harrison, uh, Jack Harris. Yeah. yeah, look, you've got Luke Ayling, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it, it, it will be interesting because I, I, th- I think the the thing that the thing that fascinates me is that the the, the reason why. I've, I've talked about the Goldilocks effect with Leeds and, and Bielsa is that, you know, it, for Bielsa to work, I think, you know, he's got to have just the right squad and it can't, they can't be too good because if they're too good, then they won't do what they need to do in order to really have exactly. the benefits. But if they're not good enough, then they can't do it. So we're at that sort of weird <laughs> situation where, you know, if we put in elite players into that system, what happens? Is it, is it the case that, you know, you start... And this is, well, this it's is, Manchester this is, City then. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. But like, there's a difference between the way that City play and the way that BL's, uh, the Bielsa yeah, teams yeah. play. And yeah. and I think that's why Bielsa has sort of been an underdog manager. He reminds me of Simeone in that respect, right? Is that Simeone, Simeone sort of plays underdog football. And um, and, and I guess that's why... I, I, that, I think that's partly why Bielsa has never really managed a truly like elite team in that sense, at least in the domestic um, side of things. He's, well, he's waiting for uh, Simeone to move on and then he can <laughs> move in and fill those. Uh, do you think that is uh, that is part of it then? That we're going we're gonna to come to a point where... Basically, I, I was thinking Bielsa's been out of top flight football for quite a while now. Um, do you think he's chomping at the bit? And at the same time, do you think that there's a there is this this perfect cocktail kind of feeling of what's going on at Leeds? Uh, or are you guys are, are you, because the, the, you know to contrast that in each of your situations, uh, apart from the Bielsa situation, you aren't exactly thrilled about what's going on ownership wise, uh, player wise. You're not exactly thrilled about that. Even being back in the Premier League, there is an element of trepidation. It's really there's so much which is riding on. Bielsa holding all of this together in that sense. Yeah, no, I, th- I really think that's the case. And 
I th- this this sort of comes back before to, to sorry comes back to what we were talking about before um, in terms of press conferences because um, one reason why one reason why I think Bielsa is so interesting is because I don't think he considers success in the same way that that other managers do perhaps and I think for him it's it's a lot of success is maybe more about legacy so I think the the things that he's proudest about in in his life and career are probably little things that most people would be like, why would you care about that? So it'll be things like the fact that he, he, uh, he, he had the Academy at Newell's old boys built and it was named after him and he donated all that money. And he will be proud of the fact that he's overseen the, um, the redevelopment of Leeds's Academy as well. He'll be, he's proud of the fact that he has re-energized a fan base so that they can be proud of the club again. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, for, for a club like Leeds, which, has been like wandering in the wilderness for 16 years and going from one embarrassing owner to another and then one embarrassing manager to another and squads of embarrassing players to another. That's a huge thing um, in a city the size of Leeds, which only has one um, club in, in, in football. And so yeah. I think that when he talks in press conferences, for example, like we were talking about Mourinho before. Mourinho thinks that he's some kind of like Machiavellian figure who can sort of manipulate the media and stuff. Whereas Marcelo Bielsa has an entirely different approach to it, which is the only reason I'm doing press conferences is because the fans deserve to know what's going on. And so there's no, right. there's no sort of Machiavellianism going on there. It's simply it's, he will say what he thinks the fans need to, to hear. And he has, he won't do individual um, interviews because He's, he he doesn't he has a problem with being like why should I involve myself in a system where the the biggest newspapers and the biggest outlets get more airtime? Um, I should want to speak to any journalist at, at any level, and so the whole it's really interesting because I think it changes the way that you view him because I think when we we often base our opinions about what a manager is like based on their um, on their appearances in public in in the press mm-hmm. conference scenario. And so we sort of we sort of talk about Mourinho as being that Machiavellian figure. When actually, like, who cares? It doesn't really matter um, what he says to the media. Actually, what is important <laughs> is what goes on the pitch, right? And the yeah. reason why I think Mourinho loses so much um, good faith from the fan base is because because they at the end of the day, all they care about is like that he gives a good account of himself to to the fans, and and he doesn't like treat the players badly whereas with Marcelo Bielsa it's completely the other way around then you and and I think part of the reason why it's 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 hard to sort of judge what he says I mean on the one hand his 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 um press conferences are just like mind-numbing because he will just he just sort of says he'll he'll go through it and and it's almost like they his they die the death of a thousand qualifications because he's like fine you want to know about this I'm going to tell you about this right um, and it gets to the point where, like, after forty-five minute press conferences, like every week, no one listens to them because it's just because he's so thorough. Everyone's like, "I don't, I don't really care." We want, we want people. It's to, like to, this hyper real idea yeah, of football, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, so, if you want to know about it, then I'll tell you. But this is not the thing that you probably want to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rafa Benitez. Uh, well, maybe Rafa Benitez dipped his toe a little bit too much into the kind of the other side of it, where you know I'm going to be smart here. It, does, it feels a bit like Bielsa. Uh, has a bit more of that respectful side that I think Rafa had, but didn't really play to its fullest potential. Mm. And it, it meant that actually his press conferences were also quite boring. Yeah. You know, he was quite functional in that sense in the, in the press conferences. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how the press react to that. Because I think ultimately what a lot of them think is, ah, oh, this guy thinks he can do it his way. Mm. We'll show, we'll show him how we do it. And, you know, we'll, we'll turn the fans against him or, you know, first loss, just watch how we're going to, 
mm-hmm. rip you apart. Well, I think but that's I always guess- the the presented media dichotomy, right? Like I remember specifically um, in Pep's first year, it was the loss against Southampton December-ish. And it was a journalist that I forget his name, but he always always asked him difficult questions or, or sort of troublesome Paris, questions. I think so. And the Associated Press, yeah. Yeah, and he he said, like, don't you think, given the results and given the difference that you've spoken to in this league, that do you ever think in the back of your mind about changing the way that you play? And he gave him, you know, the typical answer of, like, I've had a ton of success with the way that I played. And just because we have a few losses and this, that, and the other doesn't mean I should, I should change it. And in fact, if I change the way that I played based on the reaction or the reactivity of certain results, then that would, that would show an inconsistency to my players that I don't believe in what I'm saying. So I think that's kind of the, like we talk about like the hyper real idea of football and like Bielsa and Benitez and Klopp and Guardiola and whatever, like they'll, they'll talk about football and the way that they perceive football if you really want them to. And that's not really often what the press is asking, but the moments where we do get those questions and we do get those conversations, I think are fa- are, are often found when that dichotomy is presented. Like Bielsa wants to play this specific way. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, then we're going to question it. And if it does, then we won't, really give a shit about it which is quite a weirdly reactive way to be a journalist in a sense and (laughs) in many ways it's also because you don't a lot of them can't really uh, Mm. do the research because they don't actually have the researching abilities to do the research they need to do and at the same time i remember i mean you know a lot of people know how dear Rafa benitez is to most liverpool fans because of what he did um in terms of you know uh, hillsborough and, and everything around that um and but also as a manager i think he reinvigorated the club in many ways um but i it was it fascinated me because i was in L- london when he became chelsea manager and i spoke to quite a few journalists quite high profile journalists at that time because i was i was rocking around a bit more journalists then some of these guys were going to his press conference for the first time but they've written full profile pieces on the guy and were like you know, oh, it's, it's so funny. I would have treated him differently if I'd known that he was like that. And it was like, well, why didn't you go? And they were like, oh, he was in Liverpool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a Liverpool press <laughs> conference. And it, and I, I, I guess I, I'll be interested to see the way that Bielsa's treated. I think Leeds could, you know, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, Henry Winter will make the drive if if that makes sense to Leeds. There'll be certain people who will enjoy making that trip. But it's also, there's something great about it that, again, it sort of pulls the geography a little bit further out that way as well. Because I'm not sure there's enough fascination with Steve Bruce and Newcastle or any of those guys. <laughs> I want to ask John, field. I want to ask John if, you know, again, we're talking about the presented ideas of Bielsa, but I do think it's a distinct possibility. Do you think, like, it's a different situation given how long he's been there, but we saw with Lazio, he went to Lazio, lasted about three days because they gave him the job and then they didn't give him, according to him, the requisite requirements and the requisite support to do what he wanted to do. The same thing, sort of similar thing happened in quick succession with Lille um, in his time there. So do you think it's a possibility that, you know, you've had this promotion now, you've had the success and we have seen uh, a, a cohesion and uh, a working together between Beals and the club that has has panned out to uh, the level of success that they've wanted. But is there a possibility that they no longer are able to support his desires uh, or his needs um, with regards to the Premier League and that he leaves? So I'd say there's always a chance that Bielsa could just leave. 
Um, and people would say on a whim, but I don't think I think it's complete the complete opposite. I think whenever he's left clubs, it's because he has felt that his trust has been um, eroded somehow. So with right. with Lazio, it was he was promised that they were going to spend a certain amount of money, and they didn't spend a certain amount of money. And I think in that situation, people's knee jerk reaction is, well, he's just a manager who cares about getting players in. But for me, and again, this comes back to the neuroatypical side of things that the, the guy the guy cannot deal with people um saying one thing and doing another that happened at marseille as well so he left marseille at the beginning of the season because he felt as though they, because they felt as though they'd promised him things that they were going to contract him with uh, put in his contract and then they didn't end up putting those things in the contract so he felt as though he had an unwritten agreement that they then went back on um, and as a result of that he was like i can't work here anymore so there's the there's the possibility i think that leeds could do something like that um the the owners could maybe upset him in some way in in going through their contract um contractual um um negotiations with him as they're going on at the moment because he's he, he um he's only had a year-long contract and then renegotiated it every time <clears throat> that said i think he wants to stay at leeds from the noises that i've heard coming from the journalists there was there's even um uh, suspicions that he might stay on even if they didn't get promoted this season um which is, I think, again, interest, an interesting aspect. But, you know, we're in completely uncharted territory now with Bielsa because he's never been a, a domestic club for more than two seasons. Um, I, he, he did manage more games at Athletic Club in Bilbao um, when he was there, but only because they had um, they had deep runs in um, various League cups and, and yeah. Uh, Europa League. Yeah, so, um, so he, he's, I mean, he's on the, I think, Charlton on Wednesday is going to be his 100th game at Leeds, competitive game. I think he's got 118 at Athletic Club. So like, we're really in fairly uncharted territory. And I, for me, that's interesting because we just don't know. He, he, it's a remarkable reality, I think, that, that he's not had more than two seasons at a club because in the, in the sense that Leeds are at, Leeds, Leeds need to be really carefully managed at the moment. Um, they need, they've got young players who need to be, be developed. We've got a squad where we're, we're threadbare in many respects. Um, and it, it's going to be really interesting to see how it, it, it pans out because he's never needed to develop youth before. I mean, people talk about Bielsa being good with youth and that's true. He's very good with young players. But in terms of development, and as, a, as a whole project, we have no evidence that he can do that because he's only been at a club for two seasons. Then he moves on. You don't need to have a development project in that sort of time. So it's going to be really years later. It's attributed to him in that sense, where if a, if a young prospect does come through and they go, well, he set this up. Sort of thing. <laughs> I, I guess he is good at spotting youth because at one point, obviously he spotted Pochettino. Yeah, no, in his bed. I mean, he is. <laughs> yeah. But he, I mean, look at, look at our true. team this season. We've got, we've got Ben White in who hadn't played above league one before he came and played every minute of our of our game so far. And so that it's not the case that he doesn't trust young players. The issue is, is that we have a whole raft of young players now who are there in the background. And the issue is, is they're not getting enough minutes on the field because he likes to play the same 11 players all the time. He he is very, very keen on... He's not very keen on squad rotation. And so you end what, up with a severe situation... Is that down to people being able to enact what he needs? Or is that literally just down to trust or...? Probably both, but and again, maybe maybe the the lack of atypicality in the way that he sees the world. I mean, there may simply be the case that he likes the comfort of knowing that this team it works for him, and that's what if, if he can get that team out on the field, why would he not get them out? Um, so I, I think this, Kiko Casillas. 
yeah exactly and we should probably talk about that we should talk that about comes that yeah. into the the shadow side of things a little bit um so for those of people who don't know kiko Casillas has just come back from an eight match ban um where he was found guilty of using a racist um r- racially abusing jonathan lecker of charlton um there was a long court case he maintained that he didn't say anything um racist and um the the court case based well the internal case from from the fa which is a civil case um so using the the basis of uh, probability rather than um um whatever the whatever the uh, the criminal version is evidence and yeah yeah um so so anyway he maintains that he didn't but in the in the ruling the fa said his defense was he couldn't have used the n-word because he doesn't he didn't know the n-word um <laughs> which seems fairly unlikely right. um and so, and based on the the veracity, Fairly, of, yeah. yeah, based on the veracity of the two witnesses as well. So Jonathan Lecker and Macaulay Bond, two Charlton players, um, were found to be reliable witnesses, and the Leeds witnesses were found to be unreliable witnesses, uh, particularly Kiko Casillas. So you get this case now where where he's found guilty, he's given an eight match ban, and um, he serves his ban, and then it, he he served his ban until the the Barnsley game. So the Barnsley game was the game where we basically secured promotion eventually, mm-hmm. and we were still playing our the keeper and then this is the first game after that where it's a sort of free game um, and they played him on the field today and there was a lot of Leeds fans who were very upset about that because they felt as though um, th- th- this whole thing could have just been well you know you've you've been found racist by a by a by a court essentially a civil court um, anyone else in any other industry would have been found guilty of gross misconduct and, and laid off mm-hmm. um, we've just had a, a long break from football because of the coronavirus you had a perfect example to just shelve him off, send him off to Spain and then move him on in the summer. Uh, but instead they're playing him in a game where I think a lot of people, this was the first time we'd been crowned champions. It's the first time we've had that. Yeah, exactly. And and so for a lot of people, it's marred the situation. Now there's, on the one hand, the club has has played a role in this. The club has been pretty, pretty poor in its handling of it. But at the same time, uh, Marcelo Bielsa picks the the team, um, and he's happy to say, "Well, you know, he maintains his innocence, and um, and and therefore that's good enough for me." And he served his. Has band. there been much change in, in the quality of goalkeeper in those games? Like, have you particularly suffered without him? No, no, we, uh, uh, we've got a young goalkeeper. He's only nine, well, twenty years old now, I think he is. But um, we brought him. We have him on loan from Lorient in France. Um, as backup, but he's a young keeper. But he's been absolutely pitch perfect while we've had him. Um, so it's it's one of those things where like it wasn't, and it, I mean it's a game that doesn't matter. Like it, no, nothing nothing matters in this game. Yeah. So for him, to, the and the other the other t- bad taste in the mouth is that we've got Charlton on Wednesday, um, which is where the original. So the 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 away game was the was the game where this originally happened. And so um, I guess there's a few of us who are a little bit nervous. I mean, if you don't play him for the Charlton game, you're literally saying that he shouldn't that be they playing. were right in a yeah. yeah and so yeah. to play him and, and admitting is, that is what weird. you're actually saying is wrong yeah. yeah and at the same time uh many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I mean, it's kind of a strange one because, I mean, if he do, if he didn't know that word, then uh, in many ways you should be punished anyway uh, for not knowing that for not knowing the the, the realities of adulthood uh, and the realities of the real world in that sense. Um, and you're, I don't, yeah, it just sounds like a, the worst one, the worst lies ever, really, doesn't it? How, how does Leeds generally feel about him? Because I remember. Um, with everything that happened with Luis Suarez, you know, kind of to a lot of people, um, to a lot of people's eternal shame for the club, uh, we ended up not treating him in the way that we should have. Hmm. Um, maybe he isn't uh, as, as central to your style of play. And so for that reason, you can much more easily move him away or much more easily move him on or get your money's worth, whatever you want to call it. But hmm. it does seem like these. this is almost the first litmus test post Black Lives Matter as to how to deal yeah, with yeah, yeah. people in the game, in especially in English football as well. And they took the, they took the knee in the game today. And so you got this weird situation where... Did they he take doing, the knee? Yeah, I think so. They didn't show it on the TV. Yeah. But God, it would have been horrific. If yeah, it, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But the, the commentator, literally in the watching the game, you, you go from this situation where they're like, Kiko Casillas is coming back from an eight-game ban for racism. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, now we're going to take the knee for Black Lives Matter. And I think yeah. at least my position on it is that you can't the, the, this is precisely why black lives matter exists because it's it's talking about like the levels of structural racism and how pervasive it is in in the ways that all of these sorts of situ, situations and scenarios play out and it just it seems to me that by lead for Leeds to be happy to just blame him again they're essentially saying well yeah you know black lives matters except for the you know the, the the lives of Jonathan Lecco and Macaulay Bond these two these two charm mm-hmm. players and i think that that's there's, there's just a real um, clash, I think, of, of of the of the ideologies there, which I think I think a lot of Leeds fans and originally a lot of Leeds fans were like, well, you know, he's maintained his innocence. Let's just wait and see what happens, see what comes out in the ruling. And the ruling was so um, strident that what had what had happened was 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 wrong, and that Leeds had dealt with this badly. And I think the thing for me as well is that there's been no contrition at all from either the club or him, and that's right. the difficult thing because you're then simply just relying on the fact that this guy's maintaining his innocence, and the club are like, well, we've got to back up our player right we've got to trust our player but for me that's to, yeah. yeah black lives matter I mean, everyone everyone has the right to be i think rehabilitated and and redeemed but not everyone has the right to play for Leeds united and the club had every right to say to him you've made a mistake you've made a mistake which you can be redeemed from but we're not going to allow you to be redeemed at this club we're going to relieve you of, yeah. of, 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 your, of your, your duties you now go and do the hard work to rehabilitate yourself and, re, and and turn your image around and that's that's what i think the club should have done but instead they're doing this sort of thing which makes it look as though they're saying well we actually think jonathan lecco and macaulay bon are like essentially and i i think that's why yeah, or misheard something yeah, or, exactly. yeah, or any of these yeah, sorts of things where, where it gets in that yeah. murky yeah, yeah. we're getting that murky water um yeah and and at the same time it is particularly difficult because you have a great reason to be proud of the club again and in many ways people are just getting invested yeah. again and had good reason to invest mm. and then uh th- this happens yeah. and and so do you think that i mean you know he's clearly quite a pragmatic man he's clearly a man uh, there's clearly going to be a reason behind doing this as well. 
do you think there is this darker side to him where you know um it, his loyalty it, maybe to put it this way his loyalty is to the concepts that he loves his loyalty is to football his loyalty is to all these kind of things it's just it seems so at odds with you know litter picking in the community to then go well this community which by the way involves uh, a diverse set of people maybe not you know to the point that london is in the same way as leeds but mm. this community that we report to care so much about we don't care about what this guy said within mm. the community how does that sit with him yeah and i think this is why i always talk about tension because i think so many people just want to love the guy uncritically and i love mm. that i love the guy like he's he's everything that i love about about um, interesting people in football. He's the most interesting person in football by a, yeah. a country mile. A long way, yeah. Yeah, and I want to, I want to be able to stand him uncritically. But you know, the, there's so many little things out there. Where I think people, like he'll he'll come out in the wake of the Chilean earthquake and and say really good sort of leftist things, and people go from that to being like, well, you know, he's like therefore left wing. Um, but you know, even right. when you and and so I think you know, I'm I'm writing a book about. Uh, Bielsa at the moment and and that tension is sort of inherent in everything like I I try to emphasize the fact that you know there's there's so many of these sort of um these sort of contradictions in his life like his mum his mum comes from a working class background works her way up and becomes a teacher his dad is sort of like arist like old arist aristocratic family in in Argentina in, in Buenos Aires and his 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 brothers and sisters are all sort of like very high flying um there, there's um, there's a strand of Peronism in his family, and Peronism is a really interesting like political ideology where you sort of have you sort of have right wing economics and then left wing like progressive views. Um, mm -hmm. So it's quite it's quite centrist in that sense. And so again, a lot of people think that because his brother has been in prison um, as a, as an enemy of the state, quote in, in scare quotes um, against this author authoritarian regime, therefore he's, he comes from a sort of arch le leftist family. But it's not again it's not quite as simple as that and I, I think people the problem with Bielsa is we stick him into our into our ideas about what western life is like in 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 right. England and and then we say well he's therefore this and therefore that and so you think on an issue like anti-racism he would be strident and come out and say this is wrong we shouldn't do that but he's come out in in this particular way which is well you know I believe my 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 team uh, member and and that's what he's gone with and like I that's something that I have to struggle to get my head around like how could how could he ha be so right on so many different things when he talks about capitalism and football a lot of the stuff he says is really good um but then when it comes to something like this where you think is this is an absolute doozy right um and, and yeah. he, it's and also he a very easy goal to score yeah, yeah it's very easy to do all of the work and then uh maybe undo it so quickly mm. uh with with that it d does sound pretty pretty incredible but then he also has the other side where obviously you've also got a takeover coming not to move on too quickly from yeah. that, but i do feel kind of gone through that but you you've got a potential takeover in the works here um uh, fill me in on that because it, you know there's a lot of tension over takeovers in the Premier League at the moment. There's a lot of uh, tension over fair and uh, you know good and proper practices, or whatever you want to call it, um, and whether people are good people. Yeah. So there's been rumours around that QSI, um, which is 
Qatar Sports Investment, which is basically the sovereign wealth fund, or it's at least the sporting arm of the, the sovereign wealth fund for Qatar, is interested in, in these United. And obviously, um, what a sovereign wealth fund is, is when you get these oil-rich states, essentially, or some kind of mineral-rich state, when they have so much money, they don't really know what to do with it. And so they have to yeah. try and diversify their their portfolio somehow. So one of the things that they yeah. do is, is they buy football clubs. So they already own PSG, famously. Right. Um, so that's the, the sort of background. There's been, there's been rumors that, that might happen, although... The the suspicions that I'm having now is that that, that won't actually happen um, anytime soon. Um, and there's there's rumours that Andrea Radrizzani, who is the owner of Leeds United, has had some kind of falling out with uh, the Al Khalifi family um, in Qatar. So um, no one quite knows what's going to happen there. So in many well, respects, he's got his own money there. Though, <laughs> well, yeah. So in many respects, I'm sort of feeling quite relieved about that as things stand. Um, Where but- does that leave you then? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't think that I don't think that Marcelo Bielsa would have a necessarily have a moral stance on QSI, or at least he he would be like. I mean, Pep Guardiola is another great example, right? In the sense that he's all he's all for like Catalan um, independence, but then when it comes down to it, he's happy to like celebrate on on Wednesday when uh, with with these sort of like high powered lawyers and and stuff, where you really are talking like status quoism. And 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 it, again, that's how I feel about Bielsa. I think that he would be simply this is outside of my hands. I'm here to do football things, and let's get it done. Um, and let's not worry too much about that sort of stuff. And it's okay for you to make moral like gestures as long as they're going sideways rather than up the, ch- the chain and um maybe i'm wrong maybe i would be pleasantly surprised but that's just my suspicion and i think it's made more difficult by the fact that a lot of my friends who are, are Leeds fans and who are leftist seem to think that he is some kind of leftist hero and there's a lot of things that he, there's a lot of things that he does that are really incredible and no one else in football would do them but there's a lot of other things where you just kind of think i don't i don't understand why you don't make them the logical inference this way and so again that's why i like to talk about tension when i talk about bielsa well and i think the, this is maybe yeah. the problem uh you know to, maybe to say about modern football is a bit too cliched because it can i guess it can always happen but you know, it is specific. John mentioned Pep Guardiola there and, and, you know, he celebrates the practice of democracy in Catalonia and, and all those things. And we've heard Jurgen Klopp say certain things about capitalism and football. And, you know, we all know that Liverpool invented socialism. So it's, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 Again, I think we were the ones who did it best. I think (laughs) best to say it. Yeah. Uh, Again, I think it's, it's easy to make remarks about something if there's no reason to not make a remark about it. And it, it, especially if your, pol- if your personal political ideology right. doesn't disagree with that. And then it's a complete other thing to, like you said, like I find it so interesting to see Manchester City fans on, on the timeline and on Twitter and on social media sort of celebrate the victory in court, even though they're still fine, they're still this, that, and the other. When, you know, John had... I believe it was David Mooney on football today Mm -hmm. recently. And like, he basically said like, I don't really care what city's doing now and where they're getting their money and uh, whatever the case is, because I supported them when they were shit. So I deserve to support them when they're really good. And I can, I guess I can, works. yeah. Like, I guess I can understand that. I, I guess I can understand the difficulty in like a moral or emotional position from someone like that, because you've, 
had something that you've built emotional and cognitive relationship from a very young age as a Manchester City fan that grew up in in Manchester and has a different relationship to it than I do. But at the same time, at a certain point, we have to be critical enough about ourselves to understand that the things, especially when they are funded as such, the things that we care about can no can sometimes not represent the things that we believe to be right. And so it is important. We just kind of praise Bielsa and talk about the amazing things that we think about him for 57 odd minutes. And now we're at a point where we say, you know, he's selecting someone that denied pretty obvious racial abuse in his squad because he has a material obligation to do so. You know, we say that it, it is an easy thing for Leeds to go ahead and say, you know what, Kikukusia, you have the, like John said, you have the ability to be rehabilitated somewhere else, but it's not going to be here. But at the same time, if we look at the sort of contractual obligations that go into that, the the contractual specificities that that might go into that, leads are put in a difficult position, which isn't to say that what they're doing is right, but it is to say that they didn't make the difficult decision to not allow that player to represent Leeds anymore. And Marcelo Bielsa has 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 washed his hands of it too. And Pep Guardiola does the same thing. And a lot of managers do the same thing when they take a job somewhere. So this is the problem, I think, when you really have to think about um, football as it, as it exists, is that a lot of the time now, the clubs that we have come to build significant emotional relationships no longer purport, or falsely purport the values that we would find consistent and do things that we would that would be inconsistent with us and it's that is a difficult thing to reconcile Hmm. and i think a lot of people just aren't willing to do so and that's the problem is that we love this thing and we look at it we look at it as a distraction and there's so much to enjoy about it and it's easy to just watch football and turn your mind off like i was Hmm. opposed to watching the premier league when it came back from from the coronavirus break because I think it's, I thought it was too early. I still think it's too early. And yet I found myself watching football. I found myself. Do, do you mean in England or in general? I think in general, like not to have a conversation, another conversation about the coronavirus, not that it is prescient, but you know, there are avoidable deaths that could have happened, especially in my country, but I think the UK and the world over, you, you know, that could have just, that could have, that were preventable because of Mm. the nature of things. And yet we, we, you know, somebody talks about TV rights and how they have to be fulfilled as if, as if one person's life is less than a TV, a TV deal. It's not, I can tell you unequivocally, it's not, I believe that to, to my, to the very fiber of my being. So, you know, it's, it's difficult because it's, it's, (laughs) I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but capitalism in its current form in, in, in the way that we participate in it engenders passive consumption. It engenders the, the, the capacity and the ability to just to do something and not worry about any of the consequences. And that's the problem is that we all participated. I, I participated in it, in, in it as much as anyone else does being an American, but at some point, we have to be self-critical. We have to be critical of the things we enjoy to it, to 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 have some, uh, you know, ethical and moral uh, 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 agency. You know, but it, it, yeah, and it, but in many ways, it also that um, what you're talking about there, where it, you know, it it stops you thinking about the consequences. It also leaves you very confused as to what the goals it goals are then, and so that's kind of the difficulty, and probably why Bielsa 
and Klopp and these kind of guys stand out so much because uh, and I, I don't think this is a very good argument, but in a world where there is a lot of wishy-washy kind of, you know, I'll do whatever you need to, at least some of these guys seem to have a North Star that they're aiming towards. And that seems to be what's quite appealing about Bielsa and probably why he can uh, motivate the players in such a way. The same with, you'd argue, Sir Alex Ferguson, although behind the scenes again, I think a lot of people now are still very confused as to what Sir Alex Ferguson represents to people. Um, and I, I guess it's also, you know, you go back to the Batman line. It's like you either uh, die a superhero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And there, I think that was Spider-Man. Is that, or was that? No, that was the responsibility no, no, was thing. Batman. You're right. You're right. You're no, no, right. Sorry. Sorry. Um, it, it's, if there's any philosopher I know, it's, it's Batman. So, it, uh, But at, at the same time, I, I think uh, to go along with that, that's partly why Bielsa is also so beloved is because he does the good and then he gets out. Well, but, like, but again, I, th- I think that's like, I was talking about it either last week or one of our other podcasts. Like that is the, that is the exactly sort of the sell selling line that these clubs look to advertise is that what Bielsa or Pochettino or Pep Guardiola is doing is over here. And they have a North Star because there is an ideology to their football that is deemed to be morally, uh, ethic, ethically superior, right? If you play a football football in a certain way, if you play it with the ball, if you press, if you look to, you know, uh, to, to, to do all these things, then that is a, a, an ethically superior position in football. And that's exactly why a sovereign state fund wants to fund a team like that. That's why Pep Guardiola is like, a, a, a silver bullet for these people because he's the they golden can, goose of football because he will very <laughs> because because you can stand adopt yeah next you can, to any sign you can you can adopt an ethically uh you know a higher ethical position in football because that's that's what it occupies like nobody would hire Mourinho and say like we're looking to rehabilitate our image here folks but, that, but that's what that's what's actually really fascinating is actually I think that's partly why. Uh, Spurs hired Mourinho is because they were basically looking for someone who at least had a North Star and it was like or appeared to have a North Star and I think they're just looking for trophies at some point (laughs) I I mean maybe they're looking for trophies do you mean any trophy I I think I think Tottenham in many ways that is a North Star of sorts I I think Tottenham came to a position where this is an extremely important moment in world football because the the globalization of the Premier League is happening every year. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's getting bigger here in the mm-hmm. States. It's getting bigger all over the world. And so the teams that are dominant now, Manchester United, Manchester City, Tottenham kind of, and, you know, uh, uh, Liverpool are yeah, going sorry, to reap the be- <laughs> are going to reap the benefits of being relevant at this point in time. And it will cement them as a sort of marketable institution because right. they were seen as the teams that are the easiest to support. Like I came to support Manchester City. I'm not going to, you know, mince, mince words about it because they were good to watch. I wasn't going to support a team that was shit to watch because that's where I was at, at, at that point in time. Right. So if you're good to watch now and you have success and you have trophies and you're near the top of the table, it's easier to support you. So I think at a certain point in time, Tottenham said, listen, we've been good and we've been in the top four and we've been making the champions leagues, but we're, we're, we're not going to win anything with this specific guy. And so we have to bring someone that at least we can show, okay, that was our title winning season. That was when we won the FA cup, this and the other, it's not going to work out that I- way, but 
Well, that's where Leeds is kind of a fascinating prospect, really, isn't it, John? Because this is, you know, not to over-egg the cliche, but uh, at Sleeping Giant, uh, you know, we've all seen The Damned United. We've all read, well, you know, if, if you enjoyed the book, then you saw the film. And, you know, I'd imagine globally a lot of people have seen the film. So finally, we have a club that we can love that's got some history, um, you know, a, an underdog. They're also now it's also a team that feels like it can challenge. You know, if, if Bielsa was to play Manchester United tomorrow, in my heart, I'm like, no, I'd probably think Leeds United are in with a win there. <laughs> like, there are so many possibilities with this team which make you guys so marketable in the short term. The worry is the long term for Leeds, really, isn't it? And you guys, and a little bit similar to what my uh, worry as a Liverpool fan is, is like, how do I recover from this post club? How? Uh, how from this huge whirlwind love affair that uh, Nico might be laughing, but I mean, you're not getting on Twitter, so good luck replacing Pep Guardiola. Um, how do we get over this whirlwind love affair with this guy who, uh, you know, like you say, atypical, uh, Klopp feels um, somewhere between those two polarities. Um, how do you get over that afterwards? And then how does the club recover? What players does it retain? There are so many... Uh, I, guess, I guess unsure moments post Bielsa and you, the worst thing for us is we know when it's coming even worse for you it could be tomorrow as far as you're concerned <laughs> yeah there's, there's a few things I want to say first thing is that Leeds United is a club in stasis Leeds United dropped out of the Premier League in 2004 which is the year after Abramovich came into the Premier League and buying Chelsea right. and that was the moment for me the catalyst moment where football became globalised to the next level that was when the, the sort of real doping started um, and so with Leeds you have that notion of it means financially guys <laughs> it means financially although Yossi Benayoun did recover extremely quickly I'm just saying <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Leeds, Leeds have a, a fan base who are sort of like living in the past. If you go to Elland Road, it's like going to a Premier League game in the 90s uh, <laughs> because the, like, the, the stadium is still in the same same state. And I think what's really been, what's really interesting about what's happening in football at the moment, people talk about all the time, football's destroying itself, whatever, some kind of moral sense. But I think, and I've said this a few times now in other places, but what's actually happening in football is that we're changing the clientele subtly. We're moving the, right. the clientele from a local um, fan base who lived within whatever gettable distance of the stadium. And there's a realization that actually we can monetize football better if we make it available to a global audience. And so football has changed from being um, some kind of local um, community hub where where there's that sort of the sense of like uh, gravitation that people end up gravitating towards the stadium and 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 whatever to um, this notion where actually if we can get as many people around the world just watching this as a spectacular on a on a two D screen um, then we can monetize that in a whole new way and I think what what is happening is that football is seeing that shift that transition from the old style of of watching football to this new style of watching football and that's what's going to happen at, at Leeds United I think is that we, what we're going to see is we're going to the the, the the fans that Leeds have now still think that we live in that world. We we still think we inhabit that world where, and let's face it, they're like, yeah, we have a lot, a lot of Scandinavian fans. We have a lot of Australian fans, but we are not quite the global brand that, that, that Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid are. And I think we think that we're going to go back into the... Premier Lawrence League. is wearing a Barcelona kit, by the way. <laughs> it's actually the training top for next season. It's oh, a beautiful sorry. piece. Yeah. Uh, but I think Leeds fans, I think they're going to go back into the league. They're going to think that every, nothing has changed. Everything is, right. is beautiful. And actually, 
like you say, we then end up in this caught up in this global um, like merry-go-round where eventually we could get bought out by a bigger owner. Like, let's face it, our owner bought the club because he wants to make money. He 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 may care about Leeds as a place. He may care about the club, but <laughs> probably it, doesn't. It, regard this is where the tensions always have to come in, right? It's not so easy to just be like all owners are bad. Some owners are good, but they will are still are often owning the club in order to then sell it on for more money. And I, I think that's the that's the context th- in which all of this is happening. I One think, thing I think is I, so yeah. funny about the because I completely agree. Like the clientele is changing, but I I do think in a sense I have seen that shift of clientele and the way that the Premier League, specifically the Premier League, markets itself is so interesting because you have, you know, I'm privy if I watch the uh, games legally, which I always do, um, (laughs) to the NBCSN screens or or, or or broadcasts. And they emphasize the tribal aspect that we know to be consistent with football, Mm -hmm. right? Like you said, that someone supports a club because they grew up or have some relation to someone who grew up or lives within gettable distance of the stadium. And they make sure on the American broadcast to emphasize that aspect of not supporting it because you have some relation to it, but sticking to your support. Because I think it does backfire in the sense where if football turns itself to solely a spectacle, like if there wasn't the idea of the club and they were simply separated by name and not geographical location, then you have what a lot of people, I think, newer fans of the Premier League, newer fans of football, and certainly foreign fans of the Premier League uh, associate with is just good players and good styles of play. And somebody's a fan of Mbappe and Neymar and, uh, you know, um, Tammy Abraham or or someone like that instead of, I know <laughs> Sorry, that was, you, I know, was I don't know why. I what just, a uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, William, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, keep going, know, please. Giovanni like Rone, Connor, Connor. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, is, yeah, they're a fan. Last watched the Premier Sankar. League in 2012. <laughs> they're a fan of great. specific. They're a, fan, they're a fan of specific elements of the spectacle, as opposed right. to the thing, and that's why it's so important marketing-wise for NBCS, NBCSN and B in Sports and whatever the broadcasting agency is, uh, you know, elsewhere to emphasize. No, 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 no. What you need to do is pick a club and then stick with it and buy the merch and and stay there because Mm. while it is, again, the clientele is changing Mm. and football is now more a spectacle, it is something that needs to operate along the monetary lines of its its origin, which is tribalism Mm. and all these things. Yeah, so it's completely perfected, yeah. right? It's you have to you have to take the old style of football with you into this new form, and and it sort of swallows it up, and you pretend that the whole thing is no different than it was before. Yeah, yeah. It, it, in many ways, yeah, that was kind of going to be my, my to add to, to put flesh on that point. In many ways, every era is basically going. Look, we're going to create a lie here that we're all going to take part in, and. Um, you, you, and I, this is this is what I witness on a daily basis in trying to sell a football show and trying to sell multiple football formats. Is the meeting is very much two sets of people. Uh, it, I mean, not so much from our side as a creator, but very much if we're working with a big company that's trying to sell our media, um, it's very much. You know, you've got the client, which could be a betting company, it could be a drinks company, it could be any, any of these things. Then you got the media seller. Uh, And very often the media seller will sort of wrap up as one body with the creator. So we go in with the media seller and then both sides sort of go, here are our figures. 
obviously massaged at some point by someone <laughs> and everyone sort of goes here's our lie will you take part in our lie because we'll take part in your lie and we'll all find some way to exchange and financially gain from the collective lie and in many ways that's what the premier league is doing. And in many ways that's what happened with kiko casillas it's like you know <laughs> don't talk it's a bit like the emperor's clothes in a way don't talk too much about mm. the racism thing you know if you shout <laughs> about it too loud then that's going to become a problem for us and that is, it's very much becoming the same with football. The problem is that at one point that was, that was very easy given the medium of football because fans were quite isolated. Uh, you know, there wasn't the forum to be able to talk about it. And in many ways, people didn't really have the discourse to be able to work out what the lie was. So in many ways, we all just blindly took part in the lie, not really knowing how the parts connected. Now we know how the parts of these lies or the, the, the reality that maybe the Premier League is creating is all fitting together. And that is more of a problem because it's changing the medium of football. It's changing, the, you know, once the in-stadium in experience isn't as important hmm. uh, for the for the fans or whatever you want to call and it. And the, it the lie is bigger now the other as way. well, right? It's more blatant. And, and it's just like, it's not, just a blatant well, lie. They don't even need to pretend that they're not lying anymore, right? But, that's but the that, issue for me. But that's also been part of my problem with, I felt so conflicted over this last week. Arsenal Fan TV uh, got into live broadcasting and there was an older guy on Arsenal Fan TV who basically racially slurred Song Hyun Min. And, you know, I've, I've had my own entanglement, as the Smiths would put it, with Arsenal Fan <laughs> TV down the years. And, like, there is... Um, I, I, I was left conflicted because... Uh, a, a, a few sponsors left off Arsenal Fan TV and I sort of thought first of all okay well clearly you didn't watch it before then and secondly uh, you're paying for reality you're paying for reality TV to take part in someone else's reality so when someone says a very real thing which is clearly being said by real normal Arsenal fans regularly not just once this is not a one-off incident why are you so outraged when you finally find out what the truth is it's like why are why are we all why do we all have to do this performative element of being shocked or do this performative element of oh the billionaire that owns your place is actually an asshole what a surprise somehow you're surprised that these guys want to make money it, all of this is just so bizarre but strangely then it also goes back to these kind of it it takes us back to where we started the podcast with the kind of the feeling of at least Bielsa having some form of essential truth to what he's doing, <laughs> or feeling there is some form of like, I don't know, um, that his North Star for some strange reason is actually oriented in the right direction. This is why tension is so important for me because I think the problem. <laughs> How many the times problem- has John said that? Today? Sorry, but like, yeah, for, for, we're three of the most relaxed guys talking about how important <laughs> tension is in, in the world. But uh, this conversation I mean, I mean, brought to you by Goldsmiths University of London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Disappear as a man, come back as a woman. <laughs> I, I simply mean it in the sense so that um, you, I think we live in a world where people want to feel everything is binary that people and i i think that that's an easy thing to say and it's a cliche thing to say but i think the reason why people do that is because they want to know that they're right in what they're doing they like to feel as though that they're coherent and that everything makes sense and i think the the problem is is that ethics is just a mess and it's hard and it's like you have to raise all of these questions right. so you have to live in the tension you can't get rid of that tension you can't live as a football fan and get rid of that tension because otherwise you're just sort of allowing these these sorts of 
human rights abuses to happen. And uh, I think that's that's kind of my issue. Although, and, and and on the other hand, I would say I do think that you know the there's a, there's a real deferral of responsibility that happens in football. Um, and and it's the fans who are made to bear the ethical burden. The moral burden has to be borne by us, the fans. We're the people who have to write open letters to the club being like, we don't like the way that you are treating um, this player that you have who's com- committed um, a, a racial crime. And, you know, like the, the issue is, is that the moral responsibility, I think, arrests r- people at the top of the situation. And it always it gets filtered down and they're like, well, if you have a problem, then do. But none of these people will bear that responsibility. And that's where my disappointment as a Leeds fan comes, because the manager, the owners, the the the, the players, all of these people have some kind of like material sense in which they could change the state of affairs the reality of things and they you won't can do stop that. the trolley at any time <laughs> yeah ex- yeah exactly well that's yeah, a, i think leave. i think john's point is excellent though because it, it, it's true like we look at we have these conversations and, and fans talk about these things and i think it is important to have like a conscious understanding of what's happening but like if marcelo bielsa came out and dropped kiko casilla from the squad or if pep guardiola came out in criticism of his owners then that at the very least would change something about their lives if not the situation as a whole so that's why i think it's important to have these conversations at any level because if god forbid some listener becomes a manager or something like that or 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 whatever the case may be like you at least have a conscious understanding that while things are not sort of consequentially ubiquitous. Not everybody has the same effect on these situations. There are certain people in certain positions that can change things. And if you have the ability to do something better, it's your responsibility to do so. And you should rightfully be critiqued if you don't. Hmm. Well, um, I guess it's to finish then, what is the future with with uh, Bielsa here? Um, you know, there. I guess the great thing for you guys is there is also a massive draw towards Leeds right now that you have a manager that players do want to work with. Uh, you know, they do they do feel drawn towards. Do you think that will help you in a time where uh, transfers might be few and far between, uh, and you know, being able to invest is going to be a, a real challenge? Um. Yeah, I don't. I. I, I have not a lot of hope about modern football. And I'm, I'm sorry for sort of like hijacking like the whole podcast, which is supposed to be like a joyful celebration of Leeds United, but um, not at all. No <laughs> podcast no, is rarely didn't. joyful. If Believe ever. me, John. Yeah. In inviting on the podcast, John, we didn't want it to be a joyful celebration. of Leeds United. <laughs> but like, I just don't like, how do you change, like, how do you change it when essentially what you've got is that we've got some kind of like globally acclaimed, and form of entertainment, which is it's like crack cocaine. And and if you were to if you were to have all of these conversations that we have, and instead of football, put crack cocaine into it, it changes the it changes the 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 the, the sense of of, of the, the conversation that we're having because it's that's essentially what we're doing. We're making this we're making this form of entertainment which people like become habituated in. And obviously, like football, football is not and bad dependent in and of on itself. Dependent we've, on. Yeah, and and we and and what's happened is is that we've got hold of this form of entertainment, and we've been like, right, let's see how far we can push this. Let's see how let's is see it, how productized we can make this, so that people will still pay for it, even though there's nothing good left. Has it also been that um, we we are very much in an age of feeling like we can always improve something, and that progression is always just moving. We're not we're we're more for some reason we've mistaken speed for velocity. 
And so, it, you know, that's part of the problem with what we have with the Premier League right now is we're just moving in a direction at a very high speed. <laughs> we're not quite sure what it is, but we're going in that direction. And people are like, well, football's just getting better, isn't it? And it's like, well, <laughs> is it getting better? All the football, all the time. All the it time. never like, stops. Is yeah. it getting, it, what's getting better about it? Is it better to have it all the time? Is it better to know about this football all the time? Or is well, it also I, good I, to have? I think, I think that was something like, I tried to write a piece last summer, but like about after City won the league and, and, and the way that I saw football going, like from a tactical point of view and like theoretically. And I really do think mm. maybe, um, maybe I'll be put to the sword as, as much as Francis Fukuyama was when he claimed <laughs> like, you know, that the end of, history and the last man when he wrote that but i really do think like we're at a point where this resources have amalgamated so much that we have the ability to like play geometrically perfect football and combine that with i know john you said like if you put the best players in lead in like a lead setup then you know it might not work because they wouldn't work hard but i think like City don't really have, like, they obviously have star players and players that are very good, but they really generally have players that agree with the system. Raheem Sterling presses like a maniac, but so does Bernardo Silva. You know, all these players are, are buying into the system and they're also exceptionally individually gifted. So I think in that sense, like, we are arriving at an endpoint of football where I think structurally and individual-wise, given how sport has progressed, like these kids are essentially playing from when they're three or four years old and and, and playing at a, an elite level ever since then. Um, you know, we, we've, we've reached the end of what is like possible. And what we found is that like, that's not really worth it. What was, what was infinitely better than any of this is having genuine competition that is ethically redeemable that someone doesn't have to die and someone doesn't have to you know the 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 football that's being put out by a specific group of teams a small group of teams isn't uh isn't beholden to the desires of a state that is benefiting off of uh off a world of exploitation that's not really a an exaggeration so i i think that's kind of the thing is that like we've moved in a direction and we're there and we're just telling ourselves and telling ourselves and telling ourselves that this is the best thing and that's the best of all possible worlds and like this is where we end and it's so good but it's not it's not because we can't see the things that are being affected negatively and we so we're choosing not to see them. And that is the pessimistic way that I think we <laughs> It's capitalism, it's no, capitalism I, I, though, isn't it? It's like perpetual perpetual growth is what you're talking about when you're saying we're we're interested in velocity and that's what it, we have to markets have to increase by 3% each year, right, according to capitalist logic. And the issue is <laughs> is that we're in a situation now where we can't keep expanding the markets. And I think football is at that moment where they're trying to do everything they can to keep expanding the markets and there is going to become there's going to be a reckoning and we're seeing that in in global capital and we're seeing that in in football as well. And I think that's the interesting thing is what survives out of this? What what does it look like? Do is the product still good enough to motivate people to pay for it? Yeah, and and or you know, or or in some way to keep money just flowing through it in the same way. And in many ways, that's part of it. The the product, but reassuringly, in a sense, the product is always going to be good enough because it is football that's the product. It's and weirdly, we've you know, we're talking about football. We weirdly talk about FIFA as if it is football, or we talk about you know the guys who own clubs as if they are football. And really, uh, you know, we go back to what Chris Hennish says on the podcast. Really, they are just custodians for what is going on at that very point. So. Um, you know, kicking a football will always exist, thankfully. Uh, I guess what I worry about is, like you say, 
it, it, I think also uh, everything that's been going on with Corona and everything that's been going on with me personally as well. Um, I want to make the most of managers like uh, Bielsa while they're here. I want them to fulfill. I, it's not even that I want them to win the league. I just want to see the most of them. I want to see what how that plays out. And that's part of it, it as well. Is it? People seem to think that the only trip is, right, well, your manager's got to get you to the top of the league. And that's the only thing that seems to be important here. I kind of want to see what how Bielsa does this. I want to see his methods. I want to see how he makes his team and his club better. And I always find that strange because... You know, I think that's where Jurgen Klopp, uh, to some extent, has changed a little bit of what goes on in the Premier League. Before, it was about, I hate your manager for what he represents. Now it's like, I love your manager and I really hate you for that because you've got what I want. And in many ways, Bielsa might be one of the first managers to enter the league where I'm like, I wish we had a little bit of more of that or a bit of this or take a bit of that. I think Jurgen Um, Klopp is, is... A genuinely ethically motivated guy, and I think that comes from the fact that he's religious. And and I think that the reason why that's so interesting is because I I think a lot of people are motivated by things that are sort of quite tangible and within football. So they'll say, "Well, I want to do this within football. I want to hit this." Whereas it feels like with Klopp that he's like, "I don't really care about football because actually the 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 judge that I." Um, sort of measure my life against is something completely external to football, um, right? And I think that, that that's the way why... he bears his cross. One might say, <laughs> oh, people wow. like you and should be thrown in Trent, prison. Trent, and that's why he loves Trent Alexander-Arnold because all the crosses, right? <laughs> oh man, that's the but, worst yeah. joke. We've but I do ever think that had. I do think that's quite interesting. I think it is interesting because I think a lot of people kind of think, oh, he's just doing this whole act. And I don't think that that's the case. I think it's. I think that he is one of these people who is g- genuinely sort of like liberated from the whole um, shenanigans of, of the sort of uh, of, of the, the world of football because he can just be like, at the end of the day, I mean, it got to, it's got to a point where people have stopped asking him who in press conferences, like who, or in interviews, like who is the most important person in your life because he keeps saying Jesus and they don't really know what to do with that. So, um, but I think that, I do think that's really- a You really, can't write about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's going to read that. That's, that's not what people yeah. want to read about. But it does mean that he is a fascinating individual because again, you get the, the notion of tension in him because he'll do things where he's like, I did something wrong. He, when he upbraided that translator in a in a press conference, he then comes out the next day and says, "You know what? I fucked up that day, and and I did something mm-hmm. bad." And you, you 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 can only do that, I think, if you don't consider the the, the world of football to be everything. And you say, "Well, you've got to keep up a, a brave face and say that everything I'm doing, like the Mourinho approach, right? Which is, you know, everything's a big game, and I've just got to pretend that this is who I am, whatever." Whereas whereas I think with Klopp, he's a little bit more sort of like actually. I'm aware that sometimes I'll do things that aren't the thing that I wanted to do. And I'll front up to that. And I'll say that it was bad to shout at that journalist because I was angry after a game. And um, again, I, d- I could, I could do, I could speak for hours on like the post match press conference, like the context of that. Cause it's so interesting. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Klopp in many ways, I think um, has a very uh, good, uh, yeah, not to attach too much to that, but I think he has a very uh, good understanding of how in, important your belief system can be and not necessarily and you know why um god existing for anyone be the be muslim or whatever it is um can actually be a really important motivating factor for these players which is why i often think you will see the the important constituents of a Jurgen Klopp side will probably be very religious people i mean bobby firmino um, the whole of the front three of Liverpool are all incredibly religious yeah. people. The goalkeeper, incredibly religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be interested to see what Virgil van Dijk is. I could take a wild punt. 
But uh, I mean, even at the beginning of this season, we saw that Alisson was dunked into a swimming pool and then sobbed coming out of it. Mm. Never has an agnostic atheist been so upset about seeing his goalkeeper go through such a thing. <laughs> but at the same time, it was at that point that I knew Liverpool were going to win the league. Um, so it, it's, yeah, there, there's some fascinating conversations to be had there. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see the mutual appreciation circle that uh, Bielsa and Klopp uh, mm. will create between each other come next season. Um, if, if Klopp's rock and roll football, how do we, uh, how do we, how do we finish in summarising uh, what to expect from Bielsa next year? Not that Klopp is rock and roll football anymore, but you know what I'm saying? I think people will be surprised actually with Bielsa because I think people think that his teams play frantic football. Um, what what I would say is that in terms of build-up, they're very, very patient. They He's very, very risk-averse. Bielsa wants to get the ball to the final third without losing it. So the ball mm-hmm. will get recycled if it, if, if you're not creating as much a, a, as good a chance of getting it there as, as possible. Um, so he, is that bo- it's not boring, but it, it that isn't boring. It doesn't really flow off the tongue, John. i can fit it on a t-shirt so it's fine um but yeah it's well i mean the fans get frustrated because they want to see quick transition play and and i think that marcelo bielsa would rather that you um kept the ball than you got to the final third in and with the opposition defense in disarray so getting there quickly in a structurally inconsistent fashion yeah yeah, exactly. Um, so, and he's also his teams are, are incredible manipulators of space. So it's all about the movement. It's about um, being able to it's being being able to essentially get the get the ball through the through the midfield um, situation just by having your players all knowing the interchanges that you have to move in so that so that the opposition really can't mark you. Um, so that's going forward. It's they they sort of overload in on on the right at the moment and then so they get a lot of their players all focused around on the right hand side and then they'll get a, a sort of classic winger isolated over the left so then they'll try and often use that as an out ball as well um so that's what right. they do going forward um defensively they they have this like man orientated um marking system which is very i think old-fashioned um there's a lot of people who think that that sort of approach to to marking is is um, weird, weird, and but also like Martin Kean will love it. <laughs> yeah, we're destined to fail. I think that they would they would say. Um, but again, I think the issue here is that they say, well, Marcelo Bielsa can get away with it because he gets the players to do what he says, um, and he can, can coach them to actually play that system. So it's it's one of those weird things. But you'll yeah. So it, it means as well that if we lose the ball in like transitions. Um, attacking transitions, we can often get like counterattacked on really quickly because we have so much space, um, and also our players are man orientated, so um, it's just quite easy one on one to just go around them. So we often give up chances right. that just look like we're absolutely naff um, because of that. Um, whereas you know the benefits that we get from the system aren't quite so obvious. So it's it's one of those sort of toss up systems where people will be like, oh, we have so many obvious problems. Why don't we just stop these obvious problems? But they're all sort of motivating other benefits elsewhere. So, but it's um, yeah. we, we, no, we, we 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 can well, I guess we can guess some of the cliches that will be said about Bielsa next season. Is he too married to the system? He's too committed to this. He won't change. Uh, he's not pragmatic enough. Etc. He's the Norwich of the Premier League. Mm. Um, that, hopefully, it won't go down that route. I, I mean, as Leeds fans, you must be fairly confident that you will stay up because even watching that, I'm watching the Premier League now and thinking there are three teams staying up. They're actually worse than Leeds. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. The issue that we have is that our squad is so thin that if we don't mm. if we don't strengthen properly and we have a few injuries, it could make a big difference. But 
yeah, I think the, I think the worst that could happen is that we do a sort of Huddersfield where you go up and because you've got a really solid system, you get away with it for a season um, because there's, there will be teams below you that don't have the system and they just, and it just stop, doesn't work for you. Um, but then the, the question for me is always going to be development. Are, are we set up in the right way to to in the long run sort of start moving on what does that what does that trajectory of development look like where do you bring in the players how do you improve the system etc so that's my worry that we sort of drop out in, within a couple of seasons and then we're sort of back to square one because we lose Bielsa and then what do we have really yeah I mean pardon you um <laughs> we all know it's going to happen at some point uh it's been lovely to talk about Leeds United and ultimately um as happens with all podcasts where Adam Botwood isn't here, it's spanned out to talk about <laughs> global capitalism. Um, but uh, thank you very much for joining us, John. It's been fantastic to have you. If people want to go find you, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, Twitter. I'm probably online too much, so you'll probably find me there, at John underscore McKenzie. And John doesn't have an H in it, and McKenzie has an A in it after the in between the M and the C. So really catchy. Right. Again. Yeah. It, um, Sorry, um, I started explain, explaining the handle there. That's not my whole handle. It's, it is John underscore McKenzie. That's it. Right. I mean, and uh, we both follow him, so I'm sure you can find him um, <laughs> through our follows. Uh, just type in J-O-N and he'll definitely come up. Um, and uh, Nick, what are you working on? Uh, I just put out something on arrival and language, if you want to read that. Uh, I've gotten some good feedback from that. Thank you to John for the edit. Um, putting out something on a Netflix series that I enjoy and then maybe Which something one? else. Uh, I think I talked about it last time. It was Easy, called Easy. Yep, yep. Uh, and, of course, you've you've opened up a whole world now of YouTube recommendations of why Wes Anderson's a racist. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, to, to, to that, to you for that. Um, I, I've never been recommended so many YouTube videos as to why Wes Anderson yeah, has whitewashed all other cultures. No, it was uh, no, it was a short no. video essay by a very informed uh, academic uh, woman talking about how a lot of Wes Anderson films played into the idea of Western Orientalism, which wasn't to say that he's directly racist, but it is to say <laughs> that there are some racial undertones to his films. Please don't come after me for that. <laughs> That's, he's the yeah, only director and, I've watched all of the film the films he's put out, and now I've, really? now he's cancelled. So I'm going to no, have to find another director. Says a lot about, you, to says a lot about you and your Orientalism. <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to have watched the French Dispatch by now, folks, and and now we right. now we haven't. Yeah, and, and and you know, I I guess I began to question during this whole lockdown time uh, how colonialist James Bond is. Um, <laughs> a real watershed also, moment for you, Lawrence. Isn't it? To be fair, it was as a child. You don't realize these kind of things, but then when you grow up, you're like, shit. Can I really? Shit, I am know, a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least that's my, then that's been my conclusion. What that I'm a horrible person? <laughs> no, that I'm, I'm a horrible person. Right? Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it's been great to chat to you guys. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the front three. Um, hopefully, John, you'll join us again. Uh, we know that Nick uh, is pretty much here week in week out, even when he's staying at his parents. It really looks like you have some sort of compound <laughs> that you're in there, Nick. How many bedrooms yeah. does that place have? Uh, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Okay, sure. Okay. Enough, though, for a family of 10. In the, in, right? Yeah, the family of 10. I have many siblings. Yeah. Global um, capitalism genuinely. is certainly looking healthy from where I'm saying right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it seems like some of the money is going more in one direction, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's, uh. yeah, from, 
from a poor fishing village, he's built himself up to this. It's fantastic. <laughs> from a poor fishing uh, village, he's ended up on a podcast an ocean away. Thank you, folks, for joining yeah, exactly. us this week. <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you on uh, Twitter and indeed on, uh, I, I always say iTunes, but it's actually Apple Music and Spotify. Uh, get in contact if you love the podcast. Please write a review on any of the platforms because it helps us out. Uh, and if you haven't already subscribed, hit subscribe and you'll get the podcast in your sleep. We'll see you again real soon right here on The Front Three. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.